Testament book of Romans is a masterpiece of the Christian faith. Written to the new believers in first century Rome, it continues to speak to believers today. More than that, it is God's revealed truth to the world of his love for mankind and his plan to bring spiritual renewal to the world. It's heady stuff, this letter. Peace with God through faith. Struggling in the tension of doing things my way or God's way. The faithfulness of God and his incredible love for every one of us. God's love can be overwhelming. This learning to live in the freedom of God's grace. That's why we have titled this eight-week series, Drinking from Fire Hydrants, Renewed by Overwhelming Grace. Listen as Pastor Nate shares from the inspired words of the great teacher Paul from Romans chapters 5 through 8 on God's overwhelming grace. glory. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory He will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who His children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. For God knew His people in advance, and He chose them to become like His Son, so that His Son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, He called them to come to Him. And having called them, He gave them right standing with Himself. And having given them right standing, He gave them His glory. Good morning. It is great to get to be here and uh, to be here with you guys. How many came last week to the Easter, anything last weekend for Easter eggs, Easter Good Friday? Anyway, what an awesome weekend, huh? I don't know about you guys, but I went home. I was fired up. It was so cool to see what God was doing here in our community, in our church, and just uh, I mean, each, each day you could just kind of talk about ways that it was so obvious that God was working. I mean, the Good Friday services, we came here and we just, 
worship the sacrifice, worship God and, and thanked him for the sacrifice he gave in Jesus and then all the conversations that were happening on Saturday and then Sunday to come here and to see the baptisms and to worship together. And so many people gave their lives to Christ during the services. It was, it was awesome. I went home just fired up. I went home just so excited, just reminded that our God is our Savior, that he sent Jesus and Jesus died on the cross, that he rose from the dead and that he was victorious over sin. And I was laying in bed that night and I was just kind of thumbing through uh, Facebook and it was shocked. There was people on Facebook I didn't even know were believers. And I was looking at their, their updates and it would be things like he has risen and Jesus is alive and Jesus is victorious. And, and it was just like, wow, this is, this is real. This is, this is so awesome. And I kept scrolling through it and I came to some other posts, some friends of ours, the McKinney family, and the struggles that they're going through right now. And I was just broken. You know, the, James is going through some pretty major sicknesses. And I was just, my, my heart just broke for that. And then I was scrolling a little bit further down, and there was a post just about the Kenyan massacre and all the students there that, that were murdered, um, that they, they gave testimony of their faith, and they, they died for it. And I was just broken by that. I was broken by the suffering in our world. And in some ways, I think it feels a little bit like we come in here to the church and we, we say, God is victorious. Sin has been conquered. Death no longer has a hold on us. And then we go outside the church and the rest of the world didn't get the message, right? That sin still wreaks havoc in our world. There's pain and suffering all around us. And the passage we're going to look at today, Paul speaks to that. He doesn't doesn't do away with that. He says, there is great suffering in our world. Yet, compare that with the great joy, the glory of God that is soon to be revealed. So as we read this, I, I hope that, that you hear hope in this. This is the same passage that was read uh, during the video early. It's just a little bit different translation. Um, but, but I want us to read this and just reflect on, on this hope we have. Uh, so it's Romans 8.18, if you guys have a Bible. If you got one of the ones in the pews, it's on 9.44. Give you a second to get there. So it says this. It says, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For all creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage of corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who um, have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he searches the heart, and he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. 
For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, um, he also glorified. What a powerful passage of hope. And so this morning, I just want to take a look at this and really see what, what God is calling us to. And the first point I want to make is just the obvious and that's that we live in a suffering world. I know that's not a shock for any of us. None of us hear that and go, really? I don't think that's true. Suffering in our world? No, we, we see this. We see this all around us. And it says that all of creation is groaning, that we've all been subjected to this futility, this corruption, that we're in bondage, that, that everything around us is hurting and broken. And that's pretty obvious, right? I was looking online and uh, the World Economic Forum lists kind of the top five things that could cause like the collapse of human civilization, right? Um, and I'll just give you one of them, and then we're going to play a little game. You guys can just shout out which you think they might be. So one of them is infectious diseases, right? We can all see how that just causes great havoc and, and horrible stuff in our world. So what do you think some of the other factors could be that at least these guys thought of? Drought. Yeah, water shortage was number one on their list. That not have enough clean water, it can cause all kinds of problems and struggling, and does. It, it is currently in lots of parts of the world and even here. What else? Hunger. Yeah, not enough food. War. Racism. Yeah. It was, uh, did you just say alien attack? That's not, that's not one of them. Uh, sorry. Uh, that was Becca's joke, actually. Um, right, but there are, there are all these things that, that are ugly, and they're terrible, and they're the reality in our world. And because of that, we, we struggle. We see the brokenness around us. And this brokenness is, is caused by our sin. And as Christians, we don't escape from this suffering, right? There's, there's no reprieve from it. It would be great if the day I became a follower of Jesus, all my suffering went away, and I no longer had any diseases, and all my relationships were perfect, and I just kind of was transported out of the hurt. But it doesn't work. In fact, this, this passage says that, that we join with creation in groaning, that it, it might almost be worse for us as we, we look to what God wants for this world, and we see the disconnect, and we hurt with that. And it's important for us to realize that God isn't absent from this. It's not like God looks at our world and goes, wow, you guys really screwed that up, right? In fact, it says that he was the one who subjected it to the futility. Now, it's important for us to keep this in context of everything that, that Paul has been writing about, that it isn't God up there that he's playing mean tricks on us, right? That the brokenness of our world was caused by our human sinfulness. Yet God is using even the brokenness, even the ugliness of our world, that he's allowed that to go to full term. And it says, in hope that we will receive the good news of him. It says, in hope all this happens, that, that we can come back into relationship, into fellowship with him. And I think that that just reminds us of the brokenness, and we see that. But this passage isn't just about the brokenness of our world, right? This passage is a passage of hope. And the next point here is in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of suffering, we can have hope. It starts off right at the beginning. It says, 
Don't you realize that the current suffering we're going through, when you compare that with the glory that is to be revealed to us, it's not comparable. You can't put two and two together and kind of go, well, this, that. No, the glory is so much greater than the suffering. And I don't think this is something we can even imagine, what it means and what it's going to be like to experience the glory of God. In fact, this passage ends with saying that those he called, he justified, and those he justified, he glorified. And the idea of me being glorified almost sounds sacrilegious for me to even say it. It feels like, no, I, I don't even, I can't even put that. I don't, that doesn't make sense to me. Yet the very glory of God, there's going to come a day where those of us who are followers of Jesus, we're going to be face to face with him. We're going to experience the fullness of God's glory. And that's an incredible blessing. That's something we can have great hope in. See, I think here on earth, we catch kind of glimpses of glory, right? Maybe you can imagine seeing the glory of God in a beautiful sunset or the day that your child was born, or maybe the joy you found when you first received Jesus. But those things fade, right? To some extent, the sun sets, your child grows up to hate you, you know, or hopefully not. But, you know, your child grows up and you fight and you, you have issues. And, and the joy of your salvation, sometimes we kind of we forget that. We kind, of, we kind of miss that. Yet there's going to come a day where the glory of God, the fullness of that glory is going to be released in our lives. It's going to be revealed to us so much that we are going to be glorified. And how incredible of a concept is that for us to even think about? And so we wait for it patiently. In fact, Paul says that it is in this hope that we were saved. That's, a, that's an amazing concept. Clearly, it's not that we had hope and so God saved us, because that would be us earning our salvation somehow. But somehow, through this hope we have, we're able to receive the good news of the gospel. And through receiving the good news of the gospel, we have hope. And so it's kind of this, this cyclical reality in our life. It's this chicken or egg sort of dilemma that, that we have hope and hope brings hope to our life, and that's an incredible blessing that we have. Um, this morning, uh, I was thinking of just, as I was kind of preparing for this, I was thinking of people who really model hope in their lives. And one of the people that, that I know who's been through really incredible suffering this past uh, several years um, is Nancy. And so, Nancy, if you can come on up. And um, Nancy is somebody who's really been through a lot of suffering, but... As, all right, give Thanks, CJ. Want to switch it up this week? We can switch it up. You go ahead. Um, yet, I think as I watch, oh, now what are you doing? Come on. As I've watched Nancy, um, and as I've been able to call her a friend over the last several years, um, I've just seen where God has given her just tremendous hope. So, Nancy, maybe just to start with, I know a lot of us know you um, and are connected with, with you, but a lot of us don't. So maybe if you could just kind of give us context to um, what's been going on in the last five or so years and just some of the struggles and sufferings that you've been through. Over a three-year period, I lost my mother-in-law and both of my parents. Losing my mother was the hardest because she fell and broke her neck and became paralyzed from the neck down. She died six days later, but suffered terribly before she died, and it was so hard to watch that. A year later, my husband walked me out to the car and carried my books. I'm a teacher. And an hour later, I was in the hospital 
And the doctor showed me that he had flatlined. There was no heartbeat and no brain activity. He'd had a massive heart attack, and I just screamed out, no, no, no. And I collapsed to the ground as the nurses caught me. A year later, my, one of my daughters um, was diagnosed with a serious illness. She had to have surgery and go through treatments. She was off school about 10 months, and I had just lost both of my parents and my husband, and I had no close family support, and it was so hard to make decisions and so hard not to have my husband there to hold me and, and comfort me when I needed him. I was totally engulfed with grief, and um, I didn't have time to recover before the le next loss hit. I know um, just in our conversations, and I think um, I've just seen where I, I, it's been visible in your life, I think. Those of us who know you have seen where God has brought you and has given you great hope. And it was kind of neat. We were talking about, I was telling you what passage we were preaching on, and you were like, oh, that's, that's been a passage that's given me such hope. So where have you found hope in the last several years through, through these times? My experiences over the last um, five years or so significantly changed me. I had always read my Bible, but um, particularly after my husband died and my daughter got sick, I began to read the word desperately. I had to find the Lord in his word and have him in my life. There were times when I would walk around my bedroom and um, just be in so much pain and groaning, literally groaning, because I didn't know what to say. I was just at such a loss. And I would just beg God, please, please help me. There were times when I literally felt I could reach out and touch the Lord. That presence was there with me. In fact, I felt one time I turned around and I just looked to see if someone was there. And I know that sounds kind of strange, but it was just such a strong presence. And I knew the Holy Spirit was with me. And in my distress, I got help and I got through my darkest days. From the beginning, I knew God was our only hope. And early on, I told my daughters that we would be okay, but I had no idea how. I was only sleeping three to four hours a night, especially after my daughter got sick. And I was absolutely consumed with fear. I was, you know, I'd lost my husband and I was so worried about her. I began to realize that I needed to put my trust in the Lord and let him take care of all of those worries. And I spent the next year reading in Psalms and the portions of Jesus' calling that are on trust. And even though my circumstances be, get, continued to be difficult, I began to trust. So much more. And as my trust grew, my hope grew. Hmm. Wow. Nancy, um, 
I know that, uh, I mean, I just look around and I know that a lot of people here are suffering. And maybe um, not to the level of some of your suffering or maybe greater than that. Um, but we all, that's, that's the reality of all of our lives. Um, so maybe what's some words of hope or encouragement that you might be able to give to, to us as you've kind of, um, are not through it, but you look back on where God has taken you in the last couple of years? Through my experiences, I learned that trusting God is the path, the avenue to hope. And I absolutely love the verses in this passage that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that shall be revealed in us. We are going to suffer on this earth and we will have losses and hurts. I can't say today that I'm glad for my circumstances, but I'm glad for how they changed me and how they changed my daughters. My focus has changed from the here and now, and I so desperately want to have God's presence and help in my life on a daily basis. What could be better or more important than salvation? That eternity with God. And when I sit here in church and look at that cross and know my husband is there, I know that that is my hope in this world. And it's worth anything that we have to endure or sacrifice. So I want to live the rest of my life living forward, looking to that day when I can stand before God and hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And those words, in a moment of time, will will erase any sufferings we've faced on this earth and in our lives. And I know that God has a plan and purpose in all of this for me and my family, and I know it's going to work out for good. And it's that which gives me hope in life. Thanks, Nancy. Let's keep... Thank you. What a powerful testimony Nancy's life has been, just of, of great hope and perseverance and patience waiting on the Lord and, and seeing, I mean, it's, it's been visible in her life as you can see God just filling her with hope. Um, So this morning, I want to take a look again at this passage. And really, I think there's several points that we can draw great hope from. And so I just kind of want to go through them piece by piece. And so uh, five reasons I think we we can have hope. The first one comes right out of verse 23. And that's that we have hope that we'll move from corruption to glory. Again, I spoke of this just a minute ago that, that the very glory of God is going to be revealed to us, that we're going to get to experience that. And what great hope that is. And I think what that does for me is that that gives kind of context to our world. It gives perspective. It doesn't take away the pains. It doesn't take away the struggles, but it gives me kind of the, the, the future, the big picture of what's going on. And because of that, I see that my corruption, this brokenness is only short term. It's only temporary, but what's eternal is the very glory of God. See, I'm somebody that I think I have an average to pain tolerance, right? Maybe a little bit higher than average pain tolerance, right? But uh, I've been through some different things, painful experience in my life, physical pain, 
And one of the, probably the most painful things I've ever been through is when I was like 18, I got my finger caught in a piece of uh, machine and it actually busted up my finger pretty good. And I ended up having about 12 stitches right where my fingernail should have been. Okay. And uh, that wasn't actually the painful part. Uh, The painful part was, is like an idiot, like an 18 year old, I never made an appointment to go get those stitches taken out. Right. And um, so several probably weeks later, I don't remember exactly. I call up my uncle who was a registered nurse. So I figured he was qualified to do the work. And uh, so my uncle comes over to the house and he literally had to kind of cut back the skin that had grown up around the stitches. And if you've ever gotten like a splinter under your fingernail, you, you know, and it was incredibly, incredibly painful. Pro- I, I'm not kidding. It's probably the worst pain I've ever been through, but it was, it, I could see the end. With every stitch that he pulled out, I could count down how many I had left. Oh, nine more to go, nine more to go, eight more to go, right? And I could count them down. And once it was done, it, it, the pain almost went away. It was, it was temporary. On the, on the opposite side of that, I broke my ankle a couple of years ago. And um, I had to get surgery. And that next morning, I woke up from the surgery. And the painkillers had gone away. And I was sick so sick. I couldn't keep any painkillers down. And I remember laying in bed. Becca was out on the couch because she didn't want to be near me thrashing around, right? And I just was in such great pain. And there was nothing I could do to fix it. There was nothing I could do to take the pain away. And I couldn't see an end in sight. I just felt like I was going to be in pain forever and ever. And it's interesting because my finger probably was a much greater pain. But it was, I was in so much more despair with my leg because I couldn't see an end. It just felt like it would never end. And in the same way, I think the suffering that we're going through now maybe is a little bit more like my finger, right? It's great. And sometimes the pain is overwhelming. It feels like more than we can bear. It hurts, but it's temporary. It doesn't last forever. That, that there's going to come a day where Christ is going to return, that he's going to be glorified. And those of us who are followers of Jesus, we get to experience the very glory of God. And I have great hope in that. And I think that is something that we all should have great hope in. The next thing I see here comes out of verse 23, and it's that hope in our position as children of God. This is a very important point for Paul. He brings it up over and over again. In fact, Pastor Ron shared about this in his sermon last, last week, just the, the beauty and the joy of us being adopted children of God. And, and That's why he mentions it four different times in four different ways. In this short passage, he says that we were sons of God, that we were children of God, that we were eagerly waiting our adoption, that we were the firstborn among brothers. Over and over again, he wants to drive this point home that you are children of God. Yet in verse 23, he says this thing that I think is kind of interesting. He says that we eagerly wait for our adoption. Or in the New Living, it says, for the full benefits or the rights of our adoption. And I think what's going on is the day that we receive Christ, we are children of God. Our our status is set, yet we wait for the fullness of the experience of what that adoption is like. You can imagine a little bit like you fill out all the paperwork with the judge to adopt a child, but until that child comes back with you into your home, they don't get to experience the fullness of that adoption. My daughter races BMX bikes, and um, the the other night we were down there at the racetrack, and um, all the kids got in this big tangle up around one of the corners, and they all crashed. And I'm standing in the bleachers, and I can hear my daughter crying. I know it's her scream. And the rule is parents aren't allowed onto the racetrack during the race. So the paramedics go over there, and they kind of help her up, and they get her dusted off. 
And I just sit there and wait. And in that moment, I am fully her father, right? But she's not experiencing the fullness of our relationship. And so I walk over to the finish line and I wait for her to finish. And she comes across the finish line and I sweep her up and I give her a big hug. And I think that's a little bit of where we're at now, that we are eagerly waiting. We long for the day that we can experience the fullness of the relationship with our father. Our status is set. We are adopted children of God. That is set. But we don't get to experience the fullness of that. As Nancy shared, we catch glimpses of that. She she felt the presence of God. But how much greater is it going to be the day that we stand face to face with God himself and we call him father? We call him dad. There's great hope in that for me. And I think that gives, again, context to our suffering, that God has not abandoned us here, that God has not just left us, but that God waits for us. He longs for us. He looks at us with the affection of a father. The next point I think that's really profound here and kind of interesting is that we have hope in the restoration of our bodies. Now, this to me is is a little bit Unique because so much of when I think of salvation, I think of the spiritual aspects of my salvation, right? The fact that I'm going to be justified, that I'm going to be one with God, the unity with God. Yet Paul here says that we eagerly wait for adoption and the restoration of our bodies, that even the most physical aspects of who we are is going to be restored, that God's plan is not just some sort of spiritual salvation. It is a full and complete restoration of our world. All the brokenness, all the corruption that we see all around us is going to be made right. It's going to be restored. It's going to be brought back into the plan that God has for us. And even our bodies are going to be restored. See, our bodies are a place I think we see the corruption kind of firsthand, right? I mean, think about it. We spend maybe 18, 20 years of our lives growing and developing, and then we spend the next, hopefully, 60 years slowly decaying, right? I mean, it's, it's kind of, we see it, we feel it every morning. We get up, we see things breaking and falling off or whatever happens to us as we get older, and we realize that we need restoration and that God promises, no, I'm going to fully restore you. I'm going to even restore the brokenness of your body. And we have hope in that. When we go through pain and suffering, when we see sickness ravage our bodies, we realize that that is not the end. That is not the the finish of our lives, but that God has a greater and more fulfilling plan for our lives. Then the passage moves on in verse 26 and 27. He talks about the role of the Holy Spirit in our life. And how great is this hope? That even when we don't know what to pray for, even when we, we can't figure out what to say, that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is interceding for us, and we have great hope that the Holy Spirit is praying for us. I mean, have you ever been in one of those times where you're just so overwhelmed by a situation that you don't even know what to pray for? That you just kind of, God, I, I don't know. I just, I want this to stop hurting or fix this situation. I don't know. This is just wrong. Can you make it better? I don't, I don't know. And the Bible promises us in those times when we, all we can do is groan, all we can do is just go, I don't know, that the Spirit is praying on our behalf and that God hears the prayers of the Spirit and works it according to His will. And we have great hope in that, that, that even when we pray the wrong things, that the Holy Spirit is making things right. When I was first learning Spanish, um, we were down at this little taco stand down in Mexico and I remember I was up to the, the thing, and I was, went to order my food, and I was really excited that I was going to be able to order some tacos. So I get done ordering in Spanish, and my buddy sitting next to me translates everything I say from Spanish to Spanish, right? 
And I look over and I'm like, Alex, what are you doing, man? I'm, I'm good. I just ordered. And he goes, well, you ordered tacos de arena. And if you want sand tacos, you're more than welcome to them. But I ordered you tacos de uh, arena, you know, flour tortillas. So you pick. And uh, I think in some ways that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. When we say, when we say, God, take this away from me. I don't want this anymore. The Holy Spirit goes, no, actually, he needs that. Or this is what Nate really needs. This is what Nate really wants. He doesn't even know how to express it, but, but help him with this. And I have hoped that, that God isn't just answering the dumb things that I pray for. And the last point here that I think is the point of greatest hope is that we have hope in, in God's unbreakable plan. This is... This is incredible. In fact, I think probably the most quoted and most profound piece of scripture that we use when people are suffering might be verse 28. And in verse 28, it says this. It says, um, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those according, who are called according to his purpose. And this is something that we see oftentimes on on uh, sympathy cards and things like this. And this really is a verse of great hope that God is in control, that he is working together all things for your good, even the suffering, even the brokenness, even the pain in your life, that God is using that for your good according to his plan. But I think this is also a dangerous verse to throw around lightly. This is a powerful verse. This is talking about the very plan of God that can be dangerous, it can be hard, it can be overwhelming. And so if we just throw this out sometimes, I think it can kind of minimize people's pain. And it's not a verse that's meant to minimize pain. It's a verse that's meant to give context to our pain. It's don't you know that even when you're suffering, God has an unbreakable plan for you. And he goes on and he says that God foreknew you. He knew you already that he predestined you, that he had a plan for your life, that he called you to himself, that he justified you, that, that he glorified you. All of this is God's plan for your life. And you can have great hope and great confidence in this, that it is not just about you because we screw a lot of things up. So just know this, that it's God in control. This is a verse we talk about a lot in kind of theological discussions, right? The, the Calvinist debate with predestination versus kind of the free will, Arminian side of things. And I think those are really important discussions. But we shouldn't ever miss that the point of this passage is that we have great hope that God is in control, that it's not about you. It's about the plan of God and God is working it out. And the end result of the plan of God is that we experience the fullness of the glory of God. And that is amazing. We shouldn't overlook that. We shouldn't minimize that. So I think the hope for our world is is pretty clear from this passage. It's the hope for our broken world is God glorified. It's God being breathed into all the different aspects of our brokenness, that it's God's plan that he's working out. He's working it out through the lives of us as believers. He's working it out through our actions. He's working it out through his beautiful and perfect plan. And I think we can have great hope in that. So in kind of closing, I want to just give us some points of application, some points to to kind of think about. And the first point is the obvious, have hope, right? I think it's easy to get kind of overwhelmed um, with just the struggles of our world and be people who maybe aren't hopeful. And this doesn't mean painting everything with a rosy picture, right? This isn't just always be an optimist because let's be honest, our world is tough. It's difficult. It's challenging. 
And tomorrow might not be better than today. And the day after that might not be better than the day before that. They might get progressively worse and worse, but have hope that you are part of God's plan and have great confidence in that. So be a person of hope. Be a person that that exudes from their life. The next thing is, is be a person that expresses hope, right? We can actually bring a lot of hope to each other. We can speak hope into each other's lives. We can remind each other of the plan of God. We can speak the truths of Scripture to each other. And when we see people who are suffering, and I'm sure all of you can identify dozens of people you know who are suffering right now, how can you be a person of hope in their life? And again, that's not hope in yourself, but it's hope in God. How can you speak that hope? How can you make actions of hope in our broken world that bring restoration, that point back to the glory of God? And the last thing is be part of a hopeful community. Um, I think it's so important that we're around other people that build us up, that encourage us, that bring hope into our lives. Um, One of the reasons we do life groups here at Bridges is because we believe that we need people in our lives that can encourage us, that can give us hope. And so if you're a life group leader or in a life group today, maybe a good question for you to kind of ask of your own life group is, are we a life group of hope? Do we speak hope into each other's lives? Or maybe some of our our prayer times just are kind of us moping about our weeks, but are we actually not just giving our prayer requests, but are we encouraging each other? Are we building each other up? And if you're not in a life group, um, we've got a big life group expo going on right after this service. You can go over and get a hot dog and head over. Um, And I encourage you to consider joining a life group. What a great opportunity to get plugged in and kind of a first step. In fact, in a couple weeks, we're going to start this new series, and most of our life groups are doing it. It's called Made New, and it's um, this little devotional that Ken just talked about that a lot of you have written articles for. And we're going to be going through that as a church. So it's a great place for you to kind of jump into a life group right now, kind of at the beginning of this, and allow other people to bring hope into your life and to be able to speak hope into other people's lives. So as we close, um, as we pray, maybe just a time to just thank God for the hope that he's given us and the hope that we have and confidence we have in him. Let's pray. God, we have so much hope and confidence in you, yet we're so weak so often and we miss that and we, um, we just get overwhelmed with worry and anxiety and we forget these powerful promises that you've given us. So God, I just pray for, for us as people are suffering and struggling with very real things that you give us hope. Even this morning, even as we sing these songs of worship, that this is a place of hope and encouragement. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. For more information on Bridges Community Church, please check out our website at www.bridgescc.org.